0: I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Meng Chiang, who is the Dean of the College of Engineering at Purdue University, and Chris Brinton, who's the Head of Advanced Research at Zoomi Incorporated and also a lecturer at Princeton University. And we're talking about the Netflix Challenge. Oh, I should mention that both are authored a book, The Power of Networks. So, Chris, can you tell us what the Netflix Challenge is or was? Certainly. So...
1: An important part of Netflix's model as a business is the ability to recommend movies for their users to watch, because an effective recommendation, in this sense, is going to improve client satisfaction, reduce churn, increase profits, and so on and so forth. So Netflix, at the time, before they launched this challenge, they had an algorithm called Sign Match, which would try to actually predict how people would rate movies that they hadn't yet watched. But they wanted to see how much better the algorithms could get from incorporating the state-of-the-art methods in machine learning and information retrieval that existed at the time. And so we're talking 2006, 2005, where machine learning and information retrieval had really started to become a vibrant field. It's been discussed and looked at for long before that as well, but with advances in computation and so forth, you know, it really became much more feasible to do these things. And so with a recommendation system in general, the basic idea is that they want to use all the data they have collected about particular users and about particular movies to make predictions for how a person would rate a movie they have not yet watched. Right? So if I can sort of read your mind in a sense, and I can say, Hey, you know what? This movie, you're probably going to like this one. And if you had watched it, you would have rated it very high. If I could do that, then I could also say, Hey, you know, um, I'm going to recommend this for you to watch next, right? And then I can see actually how well my recommendation played out. So uh, with that little bit of background, Netflix launched this huge international competition, and it lasted for about three years, and had a $1 million prize at the end of it. And they invited people to basically have access to certain subsets of their data that they could train and build these models on, and then they would, in a very cautious manner, um, actually evaluate those methods on data that they haven't seen before. And they said from the start of the competition that it would end once some team was able to beat their original algorithm by 10%, meaning that the accuracy of the predictions did 10% better. Now, 10% may actually not seem like a huge improvement. I mean, 10%, I mean, a lot of times we think improvements of 50%, 60% or so are are what's really Great and really compelling. But at this scale, if you think with half a million users and tens of thousands of movies, if you can improve the accuracy by 10% and how well you can actually predict the way people will feel about movies, that really means a world of difference in the quality of the resulting recommendations. And so, just to summarize this to how the competition played out over this three year period, um, there were many progress prizes over the years, more than 5,000 teams worldwide entered more than 44,000 submissions. And the end of the three-year challenge actually, interestingly, came down to a 20-minute differential in submission time between two teams, the Ensemble and Belcor's Pragmatic Chaos. These were two teams which had actually combined and become a combination of many other teams over the years they met. But since even though they both had the same improvement, over 10% of actually 10.06%, the one had submitted 20 minutes earlier,
0: so they were declared the winners. And like I said in the math moment, there the is a Hollywood ending to that uh, competition.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, they should make a movie actually <laughs> with an epic prize, uh, perhaps. Uh, well, uh, I'll just say that it was both fun and useful. It was an early example of how artificial intelligence can help with our daily lives using a large set of data to play magical tricks.
0: And and can you tell us the math uh, behind the winning uh, submission, or is it all proprietary?
2: Yeah, well, you know, the, uh, the, the algorithm were supposed to be actually public, not the private data behind it, but the basic idea of the winning formula, if you will, is that there are a lot fewer kinds of movie watchers than there are actual movie watchers. So the number of people using Netflix, even back then, over a decade ago, was huge. But a lot of people, they behave in similar ways. So how do you go from a large number of people to a much smaller number of dimensions of how people behave when it comes to their movie taste? That was the
0: crux of the winning formula. And, and so there may be two different people person a and person b but if they're similar then you can treat them as the same person or almost exactly like the same person
2: uh well indeed and if alice and bob turn out they have a similar movie taste then if alice likes a movie and probably bob will like it too now if chris and dave they have very different opposite movie taste that's also useful so if uh chris says that uh I really like this movie in the rating, then one might be able to predict that Dave will likely not enjoy that movie. So knowing the similarities and dissimilarities quantified through mathematical expressions is the underlying reasons why one can predict based on the given data.
0: And so I think I remember from your book, there was definitely network, theory, so you would assume graph theory is used, and, and also, surprisingly, trigonometry is used in terms of orienting people's tastes.
2: Uh, yes, you know, you can represent people's taste uh, mathematically and visually, and measuring how similar two people are in their movie taste can indeed be quantified and visualized. Chris? Oh Absolutely,
1: and um, that's one of the things that we really do get into in the book we do talk about the geometry uh, behind how you could calculate these similarity measures. And what we're really doing is we're revealing to the reader, not so much the real technical nuts and bolts you know, of how you do this at an extremely high dimensional scale, but just to give them a crux of what these key calculations look like. How do you find similarity using measuring an angle between two people? What does that angle even mean? So if we can look at how people have rated all different movies, or two different people, say Alice and Bob, have rated a set of movies, and then try to find a quote unquote angle between them. Another thing I would say in terms of the math behind the winning algorithm, there's two main groups of machine learning methods, if you will, uh, for recommender systems, like really high branches, I'm talking here up in the hierarchy. There's content based filtering, and there's also uh, collaborative filtering. So content based filtering would Look at the users and look at the movies actually in isolation to actually try to find out attributes, like figure out what Bob's movie preferences are or figure out what this particular movie, how it tends to be rated by people. Collaborative filtering, on the other hand, is concerned with looking at a structure between users and between movies. So these two different movies, how were they rated similarly across different users? And how did Alex and Bob rate movies Similarly or dissimilarly. And so a lot of the algorithms and the winning prizes, and I'm, you know, we, we can't speak to all the math that was involved because it's very, very, very sophisticated versions of this, but a lot of it does include these two key themes and ideas.
0: Now, you mentioned the book, Chris, and in the book, you talk about other networks. And is this recommendation system for Netflix similar to, for example, what Amazon has for its recommendations?
1: Yeah, so that's a really interesting question to look at the differences between these methods. In some way, shape, or form, Amazon, YouTube, a lot of these actually, you know, Amazon system is has been proprietary. It's notoriously private, actually. But YouTube's is a little bit more open, even in discussion forum sites, like say Stack Overflow, where people go to actually ask the technical questions mm-hmm. and to get answers to those questions. They also have some curation mechanisms for trying to recommend the best threads for somebody to look at when they log onto the site. So in some way, shape, or form, each of these is going to use aspects of content-based or collaborative filtering to do these recommendations. But there's one addition there and it ties back to a point that you made earlier, Michael, about the social structure involved here. In Netflix, there is a social structure that we can infer by looking at how people tend to be similar in how they tend to rate movies. But in Amazon and in Stack Overflow and on YouTube, you have these discussion threads and comments that people can leave. So there's actually a social network that emerges on these sites, right? And that you can actually quantify how people speak to each other, you know, not just how they implicitly are related. And so when you have that additional social data, you can then include the social network into the calculation. So that's one thing that these other sites would tend to do, would be to say, quantify different aspects of what people discussed, quantifying exactly what the link is between two people, calculating the shortest path distance between two people, to give you an example of some of the math that would go into that, and identifying the topics driving their conversations ultimately. And that kind of information has been shown, especially in very recent research, actually connected by myself and Meng as well as uh, other research groups to be particularly predictive of what people will do.
0: Meng, is there anything you'd like to add?
2: Oh, well, I think that there's just amazing stories around the the kind of networks that we use on a daily basis. We were focusing primarily on the social networks, whether it's uh, online social networks or the social recommendation networks. But then, of course, there's also the internet. There is the cellular 4 g and 5G networks this Internet of things, and there are not only interesting stories behind these engineering products we use every day but also big ideas like quantifying similarities between people in a social network to help make recommendations and predictions and There are other big ideas like modularizing a network design, the feedback control in a distributed way and. We enjoyed, Chris and I enjoyed very much teaching both the massive open online course and co-authoring this book that doesn't require any prerequisites beyond adding numbers to bring out those big ideas and interesting stories. And we hope that the readers of this book will find that interesting, too.
0: And so, once again, the book is The Power of Networks, and it is co-authored by Chris Brinton and Meng Chiang. And so, Chris, is there anything you'd like to add?
1: Just to say we, we like to keep the dialogue open, you know, around networks. And networks change very frequently, really faster than by the time we write a book. Uh, there's a lot of new networks out already that we need to account for in the next edition of the book. <laughs> so to keep that dialogue open, we actually have a website for the book called powerofnetworks.org. So it's just the title of the book.org. And on there, uh, we open up to blog so that people can actually discuss and, you know, add interesting news articles, newsletters that discuss new networks emerging and try to tie it in with all of these key principles that we identify and talk about in the book. So, and that's open. You can access and create an account there, anybody who's interested as you're reading the book.
0: Okay, that's Chris Britton, who is the head of advanced research at Zumi Incorporated and a lecturer of electrical engineering at Princeton University, and Meng Chiang, who is the dean of the College of Engineering at Purdue University and they're the co-authors of The Power of Networks. Thanks very much for taking the time to talk with me about this, and I enjoyed reading the book. Good luck with it.
2: Well, thank you. Pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you so much.